Welcome to the Phase World Podcast, engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. Welcome to the Phase World Podcast. This is your host, Fei Wu. On this podcast, you will meet a variety of people who are extraordinary at what they do, including Kayla Brown, who's an artist and user experience designer, Shang Li, who's a renowned Chinese artist, Michael J. O'Malley, Hall of Fame, Lifetime Achievement Award martial artist, Matt Lindley, Director of Innovation at Sapien Nitrile, Ralph Peterson Jr., who's a professor at Berklee College of Music, American jazz musician, Barry Alexander, Chairman and COO of Alexander Bueno International, and many, many more. And in addition, via these episodes, you'll get to know my guests through their experiences, interests, and influences. Each episode has a web page associated with tactics, tools, and ideas you can use. My guest today is Chris Heinen. Chris is a full-stack developer, a skydiver, and adventurist. Originally, I had wanted to name this episode Chris Heinen, a developer with his heart opens to the skies. But later I decided on something much punchier right, right to the point of who Chris is. When searching for the definition of adventurist via Urban Dictionary, this is what I found. An adventurist is someone who would climb mountains, jump out of planes, and dive below the surface of the water in search of adventure. So this couldn't possibly be more accurate description of Chris. In October 2014, Chris and his wife took on a trip to Nepal for trekking. They hung out at tea houses on the Himalayas, stopped over Istanbul to experience its、um, unique culture and food before returning to the States. Chris feels very fortunate for what he has. He realized the importance of travel as a venue to learn about other people around the world, to understand similarities and dissimilarities. Chris is also a fan of domestic travels. He recalls South Dakota and Utah. Are some of the most beautiful places he has ever visited. As a full stack developer, Chris is an expert in both front end and also back end development. In part one of our conversation, Chris helps answer the question to those of you who may be contemplating to become a developer how do you get started? Chris speaks to the possibility for people who are interested in technology and development to also be self taught. Also, to remind them that in addition to the resources on and offline, you really need the personality to learn, to create, and constantly seek out new information. Remember that technology is always changing. As a struggling developer very early on in my own career, I asked Chris about how he conditions himself to stay relevant and also to get unstuck. As a digital project manager, a PM, I wanted to ask Chris about what makes the best, most ideal project managers. So make sure you tune in, and this is going to be an awesome episode with Chris Heinen. All right, welcome to the show, Chris. Good morning. Yeah, so over here we. 
Uh, it's October 28th in Boston. Believe it or not, it's, it's going to be in high 60s today. That's one thing we talk about very often is the weather. It's toasty. Good biking weather. <laughs> yeah. Did you bike to work today? I did bike to work today, yeah. Actually, I should ask the, the other question. What day didn't you bike to work? Um, only when it's like ice and freezing rain out. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I try and bike as much as possible. Wow. Did you ever bike in the snow? We'll see this winter. <laughs> I have to put some like studs on my tires so I can make it, but I might give it a shot. Nice, yeah. nice. Awesome. So we, you know, here at Arnold, everybody has heard the story. Not everyone, but yesterday, I remember on Monday, I witnessed dozens of people approaching you, asking you <laughs> about your very exotic adventure that you've just taken on and returned from your two and a half week trip. Mm-hmm. So... Actually, to save you time for the next two to three weeks or the next year, <laughs> do you mind giving us like sort of uh, an overview or kind of your experience during the trip? Where did you go? Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, well, it was a trip to uh, Nepal for trekking. And then on the return flight home, uh, we did a stopover in Istanbul for three days, um, just kind of enjoying the culture, enjoying the food. <laughs> after After a couple weeks of trekking, only having rice, potatoes, and lentil soup, it was nice to go to Istanbul and have some kebabs and shawarma and really good Middle Eastern food. Nice, um, nice. So. so yeah, we went to Nepal, um, spent a couple days in Kathmandu, uh, drove up to the Langtang region where we did uh, about like 10 days worth of, of trekking in the Himalayas. Um, it was a pretty, a pretty relaxed hike. It was a tea house <laughs> trek. I mean, I'm laughing. It doesn't, you have relaxing. <laughs> well, it's, it's wow. relative. I've, I've gone on, uh, <laughs> I've gone on other like hiking, like climbing trips before where, um, you're going up to like 19,000 feet and there's lack of oxygen. You're constantly like uncomfortable because of the altitude, mm-hmm. um, a little more technical with ice axes and crampons. Whereas this was... You're up in the Himalayas, but you're you're not using any like technical equipment like ropes and ice axes and, and crampons. Oh, interesting! It's just a just stroll in the mountains. Why didn't you need the uh, the special equipment? <laughs> well, this trip we like intentionally planned it to do uh, more of like a cultural kind of experience. Um, I studied Tibetan Buddhism when I was in school, um, and <laughs> we actually had a chance to meet the Dalai Lama. He came to our university. And what? I spent like a whole year like wow. learning about Tibetan Buddhism. So for me to be able to go to this particular region in Nepal, mm-hmm. um, it's one of the few places in the world you can see locals practicing Tibetan Buddhism. Like they're basically t- like crossed over the border from Tibet, Tibetan refugees mm-hmm. um, that are just living their daily life. Uh, so to see just normal people living their lives and kind of experience that, mm-hmm. that's what this trek was for for me. It wasn't let's get to the tallest mountain in the world. It was, let's spend a week staying in tea houses, um, Mm -hmm. traveling with our guides and kind of immersing ourselves in their culture. Mm, Wow, this is fascinating. Probably have a million follow-up questions, but (laughs) (laughs) to kind of some, you know, one of the first questions I have is, Uh I can imagine the buildup of the trip as your coworker, I think uh, myself, along with a few other people, have sort of heard your plan, Mm -hmm. uh, how you imagined this trip would go. And so in comparison to what you originally had envisioned to your actual experience, like how much of that actually overlapped versus very different than what you anticipated? I mean, 
I feel like life in general is never going to really match up <laughs> with your expectations, um, for better or for worse. And in this case, it was definitely for better. Like we had an amazing trip. My wife and I um, had an amazing time just kind of spending time with the culture. I think we were surprised by a lot of things because it's so different from what we have here in the States. Um, I mean, both in Nepal, it's completely different. Mm. And on the way back, Istanbul was still like a completely different country. I mean, I had never been before I, prior to this trip, I had never been to um, a Buddhist temple. I'd never been to a Hindu temple and I'd never been to a mosque. Mm. Um, and we we're able to basically like go to, go to a country where, or go to a region where everybody is Tibetan Buddhist and mm-hmm. then return to Kathmandu, go to an area where, you know, like 80 to 90% of the country is Hindu. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Istanbul, it was 99% Muslim. So, mm-hmm. um, so different than what you get here in the States. Um, mm-hmm. So you didn't really know what to expect. I definitely was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. yeah. Why did you have to stop by over for three days? I think you mentioned yesterday. Well, Turkish Airlines, similar to kind of like Iceland Air, they, uh-huh. they're trying to promote tourism in their country. So what the airlines does, I'm not sure if they have some kind of relationship with the government or, or with like the tourist <laughs> department. But what they do is they, they encourage a stopover. I think they require a stopover for at least one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just kind of saw that as an opportunity to just like, let's stay for three days. Mm-hmm. Like I love Middle Eastern food. Oh, um, man. And knowing that we were going to be hiking for a couple of weeks uh-huh. to have a couple of days to kind of adjust to the time zone and indulge ourselves in uh-huh. Uh, baklava and meat. kebab and meat. Yeah, coming from a Buddhist country where um, there's not a lot of meat, um, to go to Istanbul and just have kebab was amazing. Yeah, but you still lost uh, about eight pounds. I eight lost ten pounds. Kind of well, the, the thing is, like when you're you're hiking at high altitude, mm. um, it's it's tough on your body. I mean, you burn lots of calories, but then also like I've experienced kind of like loss of appetite because mm. you're always like a little bit. You're trying to control like. You don't want to get altitude sickness. There's that fear of altitude sickness. You don't Mm -hmm. want to get, you're always like a little bit dizzy, like a little bit nauseous. Mm -hmm. Um, So like for me, like I definitely like lost my appetite a little bit. I definitely like ate enough to have energy to hike. But when you're having like potatoes, rice and lentils twice a day for 10 days, it's it's easy to lose your appetite. (laughs) I'm thinking if I were to go, I probably would lose 20, 25 pounds (laughs) because we will touch you know touch point on skydiving base jumping rock climbing and all these like sort uh-huh. of very extreme sports that you do and if you feel dizzy and i can only imagine myself <laughs> be vomiting like 10 <laughs> times a day um i would i do want to touch base on your travel experience uh-huh. to summarize you've been to the majority i mean 38 out of the 50 states in in america and, yep. and um you've been to canada i'm looking at the list of countries from africa Asia, Central, uh, South America, Europe. So travel seems to be a uh, sort of a very important element or a factor in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you started at a very young age? Was that uh, inspired by your parents or you've done most of the travels as an adult? Um, Well, the kind of the big trip that kind of kicked it off for me um, was with my grandmother when I was, must have been like 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. Um, It was really important for her to see us like the entire family enjoy the inheritance together while she was still alive. Mm -hmm. So she actually went through and she took like all my cousins, aunts and uncles, the entire family on a a trip to South Africa. Um, And there we got to ride the blue train, went to Cape Town, 
um, got to experience like a world very different than what I grew up in. Mm. You know, being in Cape Town and seeing all like the, the, the privileged people that live in the city. Mm-hmm. And then two minutes outside of Cape Town, there's corrugated aluminum shanty towns, like where people are, don't mm. even have clean water. Mm. You know, I, I remember seeing that and that just opened my eyes. Like I was like, wow, there is a world very different. Mm-hmm. Like I'm very fortunate for what I have. Um, and kind of after that moment, like it, I realized the importance of travel mm-hmm. and that what you can learn about um, people around you in the world, mm-hmm. learn about yourself, like see the similarities and, and how things are dissimilar. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, I just really enjoyed traveling after that. Yeah, I, I totally echo that. Yeah. What's interesting was, you probably know this, I grew up in Beijing until I was about 16. I came out here mm-hmm. and I think, obviously, I was not the first generation of students or you know people from China to come study in the United States. But I noticed one of the missions I had was actually bring a lot of my friends back to Beijing and actually travel around China with me. Mm-hmm. I can imagine half a dozen, a dozen friends of mine from college, from you know where I practiced Taekwondo. And everybody's response was, oh my God, I was so different than what I had imagined, you know? Yeah. Um, and Obviously, they're saying maybe because I have a tour guide, but also for some of my friends who didn't travel there with me, mm-hmm. they're also saying that it's very different than what they've learned on the news, what they've learned from their parents, even people in sort of their trusted network. Uh-huh. Fascinating. Um, and I love the fact that you've taken initiatives much beyond the trip with your grandma to mm-hmm. go to other parts of the world. So obviously, we'll take 10 episodes of my podcast. I'm going to go through each country <laughs> in your experience, your pictures. Um, what are some of the, in addition to this, uh, the South uh, America, oh, sorry, South, was it Africa? You said you're... South Africa was kind of like the big mm-hmm. first, like, kind of initial trip that I went with my family that uh, yeah, was, right. like, out of the country and mm-hmm. very different from anything I had seen before. Mm. Um, yeah, from there, done went to travel in South and Central America, mm-hmm. um, Asia, went to, been to Japan, um, Nepal most recently, mm-hmm. Europe, Turkey was on the return trip on, on this most recent vacation, mm-hmm. which is kind of like Asia and Europe <laughs> at like the same time, depending on what side of the river you're on. Um, wow. So that was really, that was a really interesting city. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just I try and travel as much as possible, like in college, did a couple cross-country road trips, mm-hmm. um, spent four weeks traveling across the country, sleeping in the, sleeping in the trunk of my car for, for four weeks, kind of checking out different states, um, <laughs> which I definitely would recommend to anyone. If they can do a trip across the country, mm-hmm. you realize how huge America is to just be driving straight for three days mm. and just keep going, seeing the, the like, terrain change from ocean to plains mm-hmm. to farmland to mountains to desert you know, going to Utah and all of a sudden you're in Mars it's like red rock <laughs> and cliffs it's just a amazing country to, to drive through yeah well I've actually known some of my friends who've also done uh, trips across uh-huh. the country and it's really amazing and I feel like that's a that's also a theme or a behavior mm-hmm. for people after they graduate from college take two three months off and literally take one car with two, three of their friends so they could go in rotations uh-huh. and just find a motel whenever everybody feels tired. It's very, very adventurous. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of people focus on traveling internationally or getting outside the country. There's so much domestically to, to see that you could, you could spend years just traveling around the United States and be completely mm-hmm. happy. 
That's fascinating. Yeah. What since you've been to many more states than I have, and I imagine myself, I I feel like I've gone around sort of the the ocean line of like uh-huh. you know. New York, and I, the only spot I feel like I haven't been to is sort of Oregon and uh-huh. Seattle. But my job has taken me to you know many parts of uh, United States. What what are some of the states or a state or a city that really surprised you? Huh. I mean, South Dakota definitely exceeded my expectations. I don't I didn't really know what to expect while driving through there. I guess I thought it would be just. Cornfields, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like southwest, like like kind of the southwest corner of South Dakota, like some of the national parks there are really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like going to the Badlands um, and being able to just kind of walk around the entire park. There's no guardrails, so just kind of mm-hmm. wander off into the hills. Mm-hmm. Um, did some caving there too. Like some of the caves are really amazing. Um, Mount Rushmore is completely lame. <laughs> Don't believe the hype. Um, but the Crazy Horse Monument that's just down the road mm-hmm. is is unbelievable. I, d- I doubt I'll see it completed in my lifetime, but um, that was an amazing monument. I mean, it's still in progress. Basically, Rushmore could fit mm-hmm. in the armpit of mm-hmm. this monument. It's so big. That they just like stripped an entire mountain, and they're making this gigantic sculpture. Mm-hmm. Um, that was beautiful. I mean, the Devil's Tower... Mm-hmm. Um, is pretty close to that area. Mm-hmm. It's really just a, like an interesting spot that I wasn't expecting in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, Utah is beautiful too. That was mm. something I wasn't expecting. Going to to Moab with some friends, uh, I didn't really know what to expect. And you you roll down these these canyons that are these cliffs are the size of the tallest skyscrapers in New York City. Wow! And it's just these bright red rock. You feel like you're on Mars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Fascinating because one of my first jobs, uh, first clients actually mm-hmm. um, brought me to Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona, oh, yeah. uh, and I actually, my mom was traveling with me at the time. It was so different than everywhere else I've seen in the States, and especially being living in New England for so long, uh-huh. you're so used to the Tudors and sort of the red bricks, and, and all of a sudden, the senior changes completely. One of the things that really scared me was I was still relatively new to driving, especially four to six hours at a time. Uh-huh. And I remember there was a gas stations every two to three hundred miles. And <laughs> you got to time it just right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Time it just right. So thank you so much for sharing with us your travel experience. Uh-huh. And if our, our audience hasn't had the chance to read the blog post to get sort of, uh, uh, how do I say this, into a peek, sneak peek into who you are, what you do. It may be difficult, kind of difficult to guess what you do professionally. Mm-hmm. And I do have a little map here of your career and, you know, sort of, as, as you mentioned earlier, 180 uh, degree turnaround. So you've gone through a lot. A couple, a couple 180s <laughs> and 90s and... <laughs> a couple career chains, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the latest, you know, the role that I've known you in is a senior developer here at Arnold Worldwide. You know, I feel very privileged to have worked with you on a number of projects. You are very different than a lot of developers uh, I've known uh, previously in my career. Now, again, I've worked with developer and actually was a developer myself, say, the past eight years really opened my eyes to some of the, the attributes that developers, you know, I, whom I met didn't really have before. So I'm very fascinated about 
sort of speaking with you about your experience. So jumping into that, and I promise my uh, audience that I will leave show notes so they know exactly when we start talking about development as a career. Mm-hmm. And if you could give us a sense of the type of developer you are, there's so many different types, you know, software um, and many others, front end, back end, and give us a sense for, you know, who you are in this role. Sure. Um, well, I guess I, I would be what they call like a full stack developer, meaning that I can do kind of like the gambit of development ranging from front end work to kind of like more traditional back end work to... Um, you know, system administration, working with servers to kind of set up a website. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of like the full range. And, uh, you know, I didn't start my career out planning to do that. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of naturally happened over the years with my interest and in kind of every little bit of the process. Mm-hmm. I've gradually learned everything. Um, and with that knowledge, I can kind of tackle the entire project, help lead projects, um, yeah, at one point I was also, I started out my career as a graphic designer too, so I can mm-hmm. talk to designers, I kind of understand their perspective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having that, that wide range I think has really helped me. Give us a sense, I'm familiar with these terms, but I would imagine, you know, here sometimes when you talk to accounting, marketing team, what exactly is front-end versus back-end developer? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what a, how would you explain that to your, like, eight-year-old, you know, nephew, cousin? <laughs> Well, front end is more like the the visual aspect of the website. So when a user logs onto a website and what they see is kind of like the front end. So that's anything from, you know, fonts to images to animations. Um, you know, I, I mean, that's part of it. Front Actually, front end is, is what is considered front end has changed quite a bit. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. cuz some of the languages that are associated with front end like HTML, mm-hmm. CSS, JavaScript, which have traditionally been kind of like the um, user facing like visual side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean it still exists as like the the visual side, but things like JavaScript have come a long way. Mm. Where initially JavaScript was something that could handle different click events or handle animations on a page. Mm-hmm. Um, now you can build out really intense single-page applications using that same language. Mm. So kind of like the line between front-end and back-end has kind of blended at this point Mm. where, you know, you're using a language, JavaScript, which is traditionally, you know, you think front-end, but you're almost like a back-end developer at that point because you're working with really complex AJAX calls. Mm -hmm. um, You're communicating with servers. um, You can even build, like, a server with JavaScript. Mm so it's kind of it's kind of blended. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And yeah. just working with you on a project very recently, I was exposed to uh, Angular JS, mm-hmm. JSON, JSON, whatever that's and called. Node.js. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's fascinating. Have you know having um, studied computer science when I was in college compared to all the tools, uh, bells and whistles that now developers have access to. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, we had to spend months kind of developing. It's it's crazy and yeah. almost make me think that now is a better time to be a developer. Uh, who knows? So I think that leads to my next question is, um, you know, now sort of, you know, in my early 30s, I've, I, you know, probably not knowing from my uh, the previous career of mine, I've always had the drive to help influence, kind of educate and just 
um, really help junior people grow in their career. Mm -hmm. And some of my friends are still in school, much younger than I am. And many of them approach me asking me, you know, what is it like to kind of develop a career as a developer? And I'm hesitant these days to answer that question <laughs> because I haven't been a developer for a long time. So really good to have you on the show. Mm -hmm. What is your advice to people who are starting out in this path and potentially people are still in school, um, you know, schools yeah. are, you know, undergrad or even graduate school. Um, what, what, is, what is your advice and what should they even, what should they be doing uh, right now while they're still in school? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I was very fortunate getting started to have some really good mentors. Um, you know, this, I didn't go to school for computer science. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a, wasn't a developer. I went to school mm -hmm. to be uh, industrial designer and just kind of stumbled across web development and it turned out it was something I really enjoyed. But I benefit from having a lot of mentors that kind of helped me along that path, kind of pointed me in the right direction, showed me the right languages to learn. Mm -hmm. um, so I think probably the best advice is if you're looking to get into um, a career in web development mm -hmm. is find a good mentor. Um, and if you're lucky enough to have someone who's a developer in your group of friends, pick their brain, learn from them. Um, if not, one of the great things that I did get kind of getting started was uh, I took advantage of meetup groups. Mm -hmm. um, when I was living in New York City, there are so many different technology meetup groups constantly going on. Mm. And a lot of the times they wind up being just like a recruiting feeding frenzy um, with a couple people talking about technology. And then 90% of the people at these meetups are trying to recruit and snag people out of the developers out of that meetup group. So it's a good way to find a job. Um, but it's also a good way to kind of network and meet people, try and collaborate, try and do like a hackathon. Um, and, and there's so many resources online to kind of teach yourself as well, too. Um, you know, the, it's... The, the industry um, changes so much every single day mm. that taking a computer science class and having something printed in a book, mm. by the time it's been printed, it's already dated. So true. Um, so it is very possible for you to be self-taught. Um, a lot of the developers I know are self-taught. Um, and you, you have to be. Like if, mm -hmm. if you're planning to just go to school for it and then stop, you're going to be dated and you're not going to have, you're not going to be competitive in the market. Mm -hmm. You have to be the, have the kind of attitude and personality to want to learn, create, mm -hmm. um, and constantly seek out new information because yeah. it's, it's always changing. This is great advice. Uh -huh. um, really awesome. Who were some of your mentors? And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure there are many and names that may not even echo in your, in your <laughs> brain right now. Very thankful to them. Were they potentially even in school with you at the time? Were they kind of from your circle of friends who were professional developers at the time? They were from my circle of friends. Um, and it was actually, they were some of my skydiving friends. Mm. So like, actually, this, this could be a good point too. Um, mm -hmm. I think one of the, the biggest things that's, that's helped me out, um, kind of advancing my career and getting to where I am today, in addition to like all the friends that I've had, um, is get out of your comfort zone. You know, in, in college, you know, you're going to have a very limited set of friends that you can kind of use and learn from. And they all have very similar experiences what you have. I mean, so you come true. from different towns, but you all have, like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very similar experiences. Mm -hmm. um, I was lucky enough when I started uh, skydiving 
to get immersed in a completely different group of people, mm. really interesting, adventurous, mm -hmm. smart people. Mm. I mean, you have this, you have this image of what a skydiver is. You think of like point break, like, Oh dude, <laughs> plane. but realistically, like in order to, to do a sport like skydiving, mm. you need to have the money to be able to jump. And mm. there's, there are skydivers that are just, you know, getting by, uh, working in the sport, kind of getting by, and, and that's what they do. That's their life passion. Mm -hmm. And then there's people who are really successful in their careers, and they have the money to do a sport like jumping out of uh -huh. planes. Um, so f getting out of – I started skydiving when I was in school. To be able to leave the campus and meet all these new, interesting friends that I never would have encountered otherwise, that is what kind of took me to the next level. Like I was able mm -hmm. to meet, you know – developers that were already well along in their career mm -hmm. that were able to mentor me, like Eric Lubau, Dave Holm. You know, these are all fantastic developers that I was lucky enough to kind of mm -hmm. um, have mentor me, point me in the right direction. If I may quickly interject yeah. and just agree. <laughs> uh, why am I so agreeable? <laughs> this is one point that really just lit up um, part of my brain to let you know that I felt exactly the same way when I went to Northeastern in mm -hmm. Boston. I call it a city school. So, yes, we had a campus, but when you go to school in the city, that all your peers, friends kind of quickly disappear into the city, have mm -hmm. their own things to focus on. And, you know, one of the questions I'm going to ask you in the end, which everybody seems to have the same answer towards, what would you say to your 18 to 20-year-old self? The, the theme is relax. <laughs> Just chill and relax. And when I was in school, I was very nervous. Uh -huh. I didn't have a lot of confidence, but turns out I wasn't alone. Now, you know, eight, 10 years into my career, asking people, everybody was pretty freaked out and thought very little of themselves. And so instead of what I did, it was very similar to you, um, was I started uh, doing Taekwondo when I was still a freshman in college. Mm -hmm. At my Taekwondo school, I had the pleasure to meet um, very different people. You know, doctors, lawyers, uh, business people, artists, a whole spectrum of people. Many of them are older than I was. You know, I was 18. Most of my friends were mm -hmm. 28. I mean, exactly 10 years older than I was. And I felt, you know, it, this was a, I felt so, you know, in a very foster, very safe environment, I was able to learn so much more and kind of leave my own anxious self behind. Mm -hmm. One of the examples was I was a developer and that day I was so ready to transfer out of the college because I didn't think I was cut for it. And... To your point, I couldn't get through the thousand-page nonsense Java book, and I couldn't soak myself into the classroom. I felt pointless and wasted my money, honestly. And I went to Taekwondo, and uh, I remember this Christina. She was 28, and she said, Faye, but what if you're a developer with a personality? What if you understand your interest in business? What if you can work with people? And literally that 30-second conversation changed my mind, and I you know, withdrew my application to switch out of general studies or uh, school of business, I forgot. And I persevered through, you know, four or five years of schooling computer science. And until today, you know, I can call myself a technical PM, uh, project manager, to be mm -hmm. able to do things that a more generalist uh, might not feel as comfortable taking on. So there's a long way of saying that there's a huge benefit to breaking out of your comfort zone. Oh, yeah. You know, getting to know more people, uh, people who are diverse, be interested in different cultures, uh, different domains, 
it, it's so dead on um, to, I think that's the core of the advice, if nothing mm-hmm. else that... And, and it's an easy way to, like, to find that group. If it's something you're passionate about, like mm-hmm. taekwondo or, for me, skydiving, Yeah. Um, you're with a group of people that all share the same passion. So true. Uh, it's mm-hmm. almost like you have instant friends. Yes. And you're comfortable, and it's just a great environment to learn. Mm-hmm. You know? And then... And grow, it, like, <laughs> I think I learned a lot more from those friends and kind of figured out who I was mm-hmm. um, getting out of my comfort zone than I would have had I just kind of stayed in my dorm room mm-hmm. and hung out with uh, the same group of friends, yeah. all the same age, yeah. all from basically the same middle cla- upper middle class background going to college. Like, yeah. um, so I would definitely recommend that. Get out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And proximity is uh-huh. another interesting observation. Unfortunately, this very famous business person's name it just escaped my mind. But his story was coming from a lower middle class, and mm-hmm. he decided to work at a golf course and instantly had access to people who are portfolio managers. And he became later on, be, you know, became one of the most successful um, sort of investors in, in this country. And I think it's, it's really interesting, even if you're going for skydiving training, having mm-hmm. fun. But not to overlook the conversations that you may be having on the way, maybe not after you jump out of the plane, but (laughs) (laughs) by the way, Uh that that JavaScript. So this is really fascinating, and I'm sorry we stayed so long on that question. You know, what are, the next part is, again, I want people to be able to learn from you, even beyond this conversation, Mm -hmm. beyond this blog post, and I've come to realize that not everybody is as active as some of the others on social networks, honestly, myself included, that I'm not crazy about Facebook or Twitter. But if people were to learn from you, to follow you, are you on any particular channels that you think you're sharing out your knowledge? Um, I mean, <laughs> I like taking photos. I have an Instagram account. Mm-hmm. Um, I tweet infrequently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, spend, I spend so much of my day working with social media that when I get home at night, I, I'd rather just go bike riding or do some woodworking or go rock climbing yeah, and yeah. enjoy my life. No, it seems I, like plumber watching there's, plumber there's, movie. There's, there's, <laughs> en- there's enough time on digital devices that it's, it's nice to like, unplug See, sometimes. Oh, man. Yeah. I, now I think you just uh, revealed why I oftentimes want to kind of stay away from social right. channels. Um, and, and if it's something that if I'm looking to, to teach and connect with people... Um, I'd rather do that in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather, I used to, when I was in New York City, I used to hold seminars and I used to teach um, web development. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how you connect with people. You know, the, the audience that you get on Instagram and Twitter, you know, it's, it's not the same. You don't mm-hmm. have that connection. And as soon as your, your, your post or your tweet mm-hmm. isn't at the top of the queue, mm-hmm. it's forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would yeah. I would I would recommend human contact and actually reaching out to people yeah. if you wanna if you wanna learn. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. That's a really good recommendation mm-hmm. of I actually know developers. I think that's kind of a counterintuitive response that you had. I I know developers who are day in and day out, uh, professional life, personal life, are always plugged into the wall. And I for the longest time I struggle with that concept as in you know for me too I want to go for a run I want to go to yoga I want to go to taekwondo you know put on a dough box and start 
practicing, you're integrating with my body, just not even going to a gym to run on a treadmill. I don't want my life to be attached to any devices, you know, whether it's a laptop or a treadmill or um, things along that line. So, you know, I, I do want to talk about, however, the ways that you condition yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of my favorite questions. Conditioning, we'll talk about physical conditioning later, but condition yourself to be a developer. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that I really struggled. This is years ago in 06 or 07. I struggled to be a developer, to be that person that had to download a beta version of everything, stay on top, blog about them, criticize them, or promote them, Quora. And I felt completely exhausted uh, having to do that, going to every meeting and some new gadgets, some um, you know, acronyms will show up and I wouldn't know what they meant. So, you know, uh-huh. as a 22, 23 year old, I was very intimidated by, by that. So now how do you condition yourself in two mm-hmm. ways to stay on top of the latest and greatest, if that's the right way to determine that. And also when you, when you get stuck, what are, when you get stuck, like what are the, some of the places, resources you would go to, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll stop actually, that's a long loaded question already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds uh it sounds like an interview question like, so what do you do when you get stuck on a problem where do you, what's what sources do you use you're really good at that <laughs> um i mean i mean there's i mean probably like 90 percent of my day is spent on like google and stack overflow mm-hmm. um it's amazing um like what you can find what mm-hmm. people are contributing to the community Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many really talented developers out there that give back to the community, mm-hmm. um, whether it's Stack Overflow answering questions, open source projects um, that people are contributing to. Um, there's a wealth of information out there. And like you said, mm-hmm. it's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. There's always the, the hottest new f- library. There's like, well, Marionette and Backbone and <laughs> Chupacabra and like whatever the, the hot new name is going to be. Mm-hmm. And to keep up with that, because there's so many different fads, you can't really keep up with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you do your best. You, you follow blogs, you follow the news, you follow, follow the forums to figure out what people are working on at that moment. Um, but the fact is, it's constantly going to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things that I found that only really comes from just experience working on projects, because that's when you, you really learn. You can do tutorials, you can read articles, but when you're actually working on a project and problem solving... That's where you retain a lot of information and a lot of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And with that, you get experience. And I found that it's, it's not about knowing everything. You're never going to know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about knowing the right questions to ask. Mm-hmm. And luckily, at your fingertips, you have things like Google, that if you can ask it the right question, mm-hmm. it will give you the right answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that kind of just comes with time. The, the more projects, the more times you beat your head up against a problem, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the more times something breaks or it works you find out the right questions to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, you understand the different programming languages a little bit better so that you can ask specific questions that will return the answers that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And at the very beginning, you don't know what you're looking for because you've never encountered the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but over time, it gets easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> it was so funny. Yesterday, I-, I must tell my audience that you contributed significantly to faceworld.com where I write about my interviewees mm-hmm. and share show notes and all that jazz. One of the 
things that I really struggle big time with is the WordPress theme, which I love, had <laughs> this flawed design of, you know, basically you can't even see the homepage button. And if I might quickly articulate the process, the night before I spend about, I spend a few hours and I'm no expert in CSS. I knew that before I got started, but I said to myself, wow, I've been working for eight years. I've come across a lot of big, small challenges. I'm going to condition myself to get through this problem. And I realized, to your point, I was asking myself a lot of the wrong questions. And as I was getting more and more tired and frustrated, I, I stuck around. I'm like, I need to get this resolved and done. And over time, it became less and less productive. So, you know, again, loaded question. But I was wondering, when you, get, when you truly get stuck, or what mm -hmm. is that sort of time frame that you say to yourself, Okay, it's been two hours. I've been on this problem. Should I go out for a walk? Should I talk <laughs> to someone else? And people don't know when to stop. I right. think that's that's interesting. Um, and I know that um, the gentleman who wrote Black Swan and um, Anti Fragile, mm -hmm. um, I'll quickly remember his name later on, but he said that walking is a daily routine and not just once. He does it multiple times a day. And mm -hmm. he's one of the greatest. Uh, you know, sort of authors, mathematicians uh, of our time. And he said he thinks so much more efficiently when he walks. So anyway, what is, what is your routine and conditioning method? Well, I get stumped, huh? <laughs> hmm. I mean, I'm, bike ride. I'm much quicker to ask for help um, when I'm working on a project. Mm -hmm. um, it's great to be part of a team where you have a lot of really talented developers around you. Mm -hmm. And don't have an ego. If you have a question or if you're stumped, Ask someone around you. It doesn't regard. It doesn't matter whether they're junior or senior. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone has a different perspective that's um, is different than yours, mm -hmm. and it's valuable. So I'm very quick to like ask for help, ask questions. Mm -hmm. um, if I get really stumped on something, there is a point where you're not productive anymore. If you've been working for 14 hours straight on a problem, <laughs> <laughs> the 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 quality of that time at hour 14. Um, is it's garbage. You're not going to figure it out. So mm -hmm. go home, like rest, have a life outside of work, mm -hmm. you know, have, have a balance between work and life so that way you can come back the following day and be refreshed and figure it, figure mm -hmm. it out. Mm -hmm. I mean that, and that's happened several times for me where you're, you're stumped on a problem. Mm -hmm. You can't figure it out. You go away for a walk, you come back and you figure it out in 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, it's just kind of how our brains work. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't work at high speed for hours and hours and hours and expect to just brute force figure it out. Don't beat yourself up. Don't beat um, yourself up. You know, be one of the things that I learned from James Altucher is uh, be gentle to yourself. Mm -hmm. I think most of the time we are so harsh and our brains are wired in a way that we're constantly looking for uh, problems, tactics, mm -hmm. resolution. And sometimes it's really important to give yourself a break. Right, you know, in our industry and many others, I and, think, and not just yeah. a a ten minute walk. Like I encourage, mm -hmm. actually having a a life outside of work too. Do the mm -hmm. things you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. Spend some time. Um, you know, if you're into running, go for a run. If you're an artist, do some art. Do something that's not staring at a screen, mm -hmm. um, and it'll really help you focus when you get back to work. Mm -hmm. It's great. And we, you know, we have a lot of your, you don't just have a single hobby, you have a ton. Um, so I think that's 
really fascinating to kind of touch base on, on them. I have one last uh, one last professional related questions. Mm-hmm. Is Oftentimes, when you're not a tech lead, or even when you are, you tend to work with a project manager.、Mm-hmm. You know, in this case, you know, I'm a digital producer. What are some of the important qualities of a producer, project manager that could really help you to perform your very best? And I think that's important. And I don't, you know, we talked about、uh-huh. this briefly、uh, before. Is like. The sort of the it's a one way conversation. Oftentimes, is when you know marketing account team will potentially either influence the job description or they determine or describe what what is a really awesome developer. But what is how does the reverse of that conversation、huh? um, response come about? So, what makes a good digital producer? Yeah, project manager. <laughs> project manager.、Um, I mean, the the best project manager, best. Manager leader in general、mm-hmm. is the one that you don't even realize they're there. Things、mm-hmm. just run smoothly. You are able to tackle your tasks,、um, and you don't even realize they're there. They know like, to it, get out of your way as well. You it's, know, it's yeah, it's 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 needed. It is getting out of your way, but it's also just kind of shielding you from the chaos of、mm-hmm. like the the client and the politics and everything else that takes place.、Mm-hmm. Shielding the developer. Giving them the tools that they need to do their job,、mm-hmm. so that they can get heads down, finish what they need to do, play their role,、mm-hmm. and not even know what else is going on around them.、Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of reminds me、um, when I went to school for product design, industrial design.、Mm-hmm. You know, the teacher would always say that the best design—you don't see the best design, you don't recognize the best design.、Mm-hmm. It's where you have a flawed design,、mm-hmm. um, the ergonomics are off, or something is off. That you recognize it and you complain about it, but good design doesn't get the compliments. So、mm-hmm. a good project manager or digital producer、yeah. isn't going to get the compliments、yeah. because they're like a, a ghost <laughs> behind the scenes, making sure you have everything you need to get the job done.、Mm-hmm. When the things go sideways, and they're the first, <laughs> yeah, first when, name they, when there's any friction, then it goes right on the digital producer,、mm-hmm. and I do not envy that job. <laughs> yeah, I I agree, and I feel like something that I keep reminding myself of. Um, what can I do? I feel like the core of my job is to enable other people on my team to、mm-hmm. do their very best, and also to acknowledge that oftentimes we work、um, with constraints all day, every、mm-hmm. day. You know, these are the tools that you have right now.、Um, sometimes that's budget, sometimes that's timeline. For me, this is maybe perhaps my recommendation to other project managers:、mm-hmm. is to You know, be put yourself in their shoes as well.、Mm-hmm. Um, that's one. And two is really to trust their instincts. You know, at the end of the day, I know as project managers, we'll have interest or experience in possibly in design development. But still, one examples I could think of、mm-hmm. is、um, I think in a way that you really save one of the projects we worked on together by finding the iPad IPED. Database from the National Institute of Education.、Mm-hmm. One of the most significant feedback、um, after you're able to to find it, and we have infinite access to these、um, data that's completely unbiased. The client said, "Wow, this is amazing!" Because now we don't have to worry about legal approval anymore.、Mm-hmm. And the client also said, "This is something we're very familiar with." But that's not the information or the tools that we're given upfront. Right. So you've done your research and. Immediately became very、uh, compelling and very promising. So 
in that case, I think it's important to really trust your instinct. Mm -hmm. um, and that also just shows, honestly, that you've done your research, your homework, whether that was Google, uh, Stack Overflow, mm -hmm. and you found the solution. So I think that's really important. So Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a good point. I think, mm -hmm. you know, if you, as a like project manager or producer, try and, you know, it's your baby, you want to protect it, and you have a particular vision for how it should be, you're not going to let the professionals that are working with you do their jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this project you're talking about started out very different, you know, mm -hmm. but with the feedback of really smart people on our team, mm -hmm. we were able to kind of steer it a different direction. I think mm -hmm. we turned out with a better project product mm -hmm. than how we just stuck with what was initially discussed at the beginning. Like right. It kind of grew. Mm -hmm. um, and by staying flexible and empowering the people mm -hmm. on your team that – um, have specialties to do what they specialize in, mm -hmm. you know, you walk away with something better than what you started out with. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes I think that's, um, they go too deep into risk taking. Mm -hmm. I think people need to condition themselves to be comfortable with certain amount of risks. Right. I think we take risks every day, you know, the moment we get out of bed, even when you're still in bed. <laughs> right. So, um, I think that's important to really challenge some of the ideas and to be collaborative uh, and then trust other people. And it's hard, you know. Trust, trust is important, especially yeah. if, if, it's, if it's your baby, if it's, if it's the project that you came up with and your concept mm -hmm. to let it go and mm -hmm. um, let, it, let it change and let it become mm -hmm. something different. Mm -hmm. um, it's a hard thing for a lot of people, mm -hmm. regardless of you know whether you're a developer or designer. Mm -hmm. Like it's hard to have your baby turn into something else. Mm -hmm. But when you just have to trust that the team of people you're working with um, know what they're doing and mm -hmm. have great ideas they can contribute. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's better to have five brains than one brain. Yeah, um, you just kind of have to trust your team. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Otherwise, you could be a one-person company, right? One-person company, <laughs> you're going to kind of outcast the people you're working with. Mm -hmm. Motivation is going to drop off because now it's not you, it's not each person's product. Product, mm -hmm. You know, it's it's your product. It's the mm -hmm. manager's product and no one else gets a piece of it. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you get involved, like each member gets involved and mm -hmm. they feel like it's their own, you're going to get a, a much better end result. Mm -hmm. So that concluded part one of my conversation with Chris Heinen. In part two, Chris speaks to his passion for jumping out of perfectly functioning planes. In his own words, it's a moment of zen. That's when we'll talk about skydiving as a form of meditation. So don't miss out and I'll see you in part two. To listen to more episodes of the Face World podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or visit faceworld.com. That is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D, where you can find show notes, links, other tools, and resources. You can also follow me on Twitter at Face World. Until next time, thanks for listening.